this morning, uh, Archie had asked me to preach for him the weekend of his 20th anniversary celebration, and we had a family wedding that weekend, so we were not not uh, able to come. And so I told Archie we were sorry to miss it, and I'd be glad to preach for him another Sunday. And he said, how about December 8th? My son's getting baptized down in Atlanta. I said, great. Sounds good. So here we are. Here I am to bring God's word to you this morning. Just to give you an update on us, uh, we're up in Charlotte, North Carolina, finishing up my first semester teaching high school Bible at Covenant Day School in the Charlotte area. Caitlin will begin her job as a physician assistant at a large dermatology practice in Charlotte in January. Uh, we just closed on a house this past week in the southeast Charlotte area, planning on moving in uh, December 19th after we uh, rip up some carpets and have some floors refinished and do some painting and, and all that sort of thing. So very busy Christmas season for us, but very exciting. And we're very excited to be in our new uh, opportunity, but uh, we also, as Paul says in Philippians, still uh, remember you in our prayers and still long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So thank you for having us today and allowing me the privilege to bring God's word to you. And this Advent season, we're in Luke's gospel. In his uh, familiar account of the Christmas story, Luke writes as a careful historian. Uh, he's consulting eyewitnesses. He's compiling sources. He's giving us a true story of things that actually took place, real space, real time, real history. But that doesn't mean Luke doesn't have a creative side as well. Because the way, the way that Luke puts together the history is to give us these character songs, to record for us these beautiful songs of praise from all these different characters that are involved in the Christmas story. So we have a song of joy from a young virgin who would be the mother of Jesus, Mary's Magnificat, as it's called, named after her opening words, my soul magnifies the Lord. We have a song of praise from the host of angels proclaiming the good news to the shepherd, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. We have a, a beautiful song of contentment from an old man named Simeon who can die happy now that he's held the Christ child in his arms. Simeon's nuke Dimitus. Now you can dismiss your servant in peace. This morning, the song we're going to look at is from Zechariah, a song of hope from the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, his Benedictus, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. So let's read that song together as the uh, cloth falls off the pulpit here as I grab my Bible and as you're grabbing your Bible, or you can follow along, I think the text should be up on the screen for you. Please give attention to God's word. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. 
For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew strong, became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This song falls in two sections, so I want to take it in two sections. We'll look at, just very simply, what God has done, and then our response. What God has done, our response. First, what has God done? First, God has visited his people. You see how Zechariah opens his song in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God has visited his people. Uh, we all know the, the longing, uh, the waiting, the expectation for a visit, uh, whether it's a visit from a loved one, maybe a spouse who's been away on a business trip for a long time, perhaps a spouse who's stationed overseas in the armed forces, longing for a visit from a child who's away at college, coming back home, Uh, Holiday seasons are coming up. Maybe it's a visit from family, maybe cousins you haven't seen in a long time. You're waiting, you're longing, you're expecting their visit. Maybe it's longing for a visit from the pastor when you're sick or in the hospital. Maybe it's the anticipation of a city getting ready for an important elected official to visit and to give a speech or host a rally or a debate or something like that. The waiting, the longing, the expectation of a visit, whether it's years, months, weeks, or even just days away. Well, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, had been waiting, longing, expecting a promised visit from their king, from their shepherd, from the lover of their souls, not for days, weeks, months, years, but for centuries. I would say centuries upon centuries, but my wife doesn't like it when I say that, so I'm just going to say centuries. The prophet Isaiah, writing over seven centuries, over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, speaks of this promised visit in chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. And now, seven centuries after Isaiah writes, as Luke's gospel opens here in chapter 1, the people of Israel are still waiting, still longing, still expecting this promised visit from their king, from their shepherd, from the lover of their souls, from God himself, their Lord, their God. That's what we find in chapter 1, verse 10. The whole multitude of the people of Israel are gathered around the temple in Jerusalem, and they're praying at the hour of incense. And this is what they're praying for. They're praying that the words of Isaiah and all the prophets would be fulfilled. They're praying for God to come and to visit his people. And we're introduced to this man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. We learn in verse 9 of chapter 1 that Zechariah is the priest who's been chosen to uh, offer the incense in the temple. 
to burn the incense in the holy place in the temple. And uh, because of the number of of priests, this was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. This was as good as it got for Zechariah. And Zechariah enters into the holy place to burn the incense. The angel Gabriel appears to him. And Zechariah trembles with fear, as so many in the Bible do when an angel comes to them. But Gabriel reassures him and tells Zechariah that his prayer has been answered. Now, what has Zechariah been praying for? Luke tells us that he and Elizabeth were old. Uh, They were childless. Certainly, he had prayed for a child in in his early years, but was he still praying for a child? Probably not. What is Zechariah praying for? What's the answer to his prayer? Well, Zechariah is the priest offering incense on behalf of the people. And the smoke of the incense was a sign of the prayers of the people rising before the Lord. Zechariah and the people were praying for that visitation. They were praying for God to come and visit his people. And the angel says, that prayer has been answered in the birth of your son, John. Because John is going to be the one who prepares the way for the Lord's coming, for the Lord's visit. Zechariah responds to this good news in disbelief, and so God causes Zechariah to be mute, unable to speak until the child is born. Imagine your husband not being able to speak for all nine months of your pregnancy. I saw someone give a little fist. Yeah, that would be, an, that would be a mercy in some ways, wouldn't it, for the, for the wife? But the Lord fulfills his promise. Elizabeth conceives. She bears a child. And the neighbors and relatives are rejoicing with her at the birth. They're celebrating God's mercy. And at the child's circumcision, Zechariah is still mute. He's still unable to speak. And so he writes down the name of the child on a tablet. His name is John, just as the angel Gabriel instructed him. And at that moment, when he writes the name down, Zechariah's mouth is open, his tongue is loosed, and he explodes in this song of praise to God. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that came upon Mary, causing her to conceive, the same Holy Spirit that filled his child John in the womb that caused him to to jump for joy when he was in the presence of Jesus, the same Holy Spirit fills Zechariah, and Zechariah the priest becomes Zechariah the prophet. And he's holding his little child, John, in his arms, and he's telling him, this is God's calling for your life, little one. You will prepare the way for the Lord. God has visited his people. During the Christmas season, we we sing uh, wonderful songs, uh, songs like Away in a Manger, uh, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright. Those are fine songs. Those are wonderful songs. Keep singing them. But one of the dangers that can happen when we sing songs like that, away in a manger, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, if we're not careful, it can lead us to kind of view the Christmas story and the events that are recorded in these chapters as happening in some sort of of far-off fantasy world, away out there, as if it was happening a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Or as if uh, Luke's musical could be compared to Frozen 2 or something like that. Those songs have been glued in my brain for the last month. Awesome music. Love it. Love Frozen 2. But that's not what's going on here. 
This is real history. The truth that we celebrate this Christmas season is that God, the Lord himself, has come to visit us in our world, in real space, real time, real history. The word of the Father now in flesh, appearing in flesh. We celebrate that the God who made all things would confine himself to the womb of a virgin, a woman who had a real pregnancy with all of the the pain and the emotions and the encouragement and unwise comments from her husband, real pregnancy. (laughs) That the God who breathed life into all things would grasp for his first breath as he emerged out of the womb. It was a real birth. I've not experienced one, obviously, but I've seen two of them. It's loud. It's painful. It's joyful. It's emotional. It's messy. This was a real birth. As one songwriter's put it, it was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyways that night in the streets of David's town. The stable was not clean. The cobblestones were cold. But little Mary, full of grace with tears on her face, had no mother's hand to hold. This was a real birth. And we celebrate that the God who sustains the universe, the God who causes rain to fall, the grass to grow, who provides food for us and for all the creatures of the earth, would cry out for the breast of a woman, for milk and hunger. We're celebrating that the God who is matchless in power would grow in strength as a child, would need his head supported, would need his diaper changed, would learn to sit up, crawl, walk, learn how to use a hammer to help his dad in the carpentry shop. We're celebrating that the God who is unlimited in knowledge would grow in wisdom as a child. That the word of the Father would have to learn words, learn how to talk, learn how to read, how to do math, how to make friends, learn the stories of the Old Testament like our children do in Sunday school. We're celebrating that God himself has visited us in real time, real space, real history, real flesh. God has visited his people. Secondly, what has God done? God has visited his people, and God has redeemed his people. Look at Zechariah's opening words in verse 68 once again. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God has redeemed his people. Zechariah's prayer and the prayer of all the people was for God to visit and to bring redemption or freedom salvation, deliverance, rescue from enemies. Israel at this time lived under the oppressive rule of Rome and the cruel tyranny of the the Herod dynasty. But Zechariah is not celebrating a mere political freedom, a political deliverance, a political salvation. Because look at what he says in verse 77. What kind of 
salvation is this? To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. So let's think. How did we welcome God when he came to visit? Did we welcome him with the honor fit for a king? Did we welcome him with relief and rejoicing that our shepherd had finally come? Did we welcome him with the radiance of a bride for her husband? With open arms to embrace the lover of our souls? What does Isaiah the prophet go on to say? Chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by us. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom we hid our faces. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. This is how we welcomed God when he came to visit. We despised We rejected him. We esteemed him not. And yet Isaiah goes on, because of the tender mercy, as Zechariah puts it, because of the deep compassion, uh, this is that bowels of mercy, the guts of mercy from deep within God. The deep compassion of our God, Isaiah goes on to say, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sins of us all. God came as the king who would wear a crown of thorns who would take the curse in our place for our sin. God came as the shepherd who for his wayward sheep, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. The shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. God came as the faithful lover to give himself up for his unfaithful beloved. God shared in our flesh and blood for his flesh to be torn apart for his blood to be spilled, that we might be saved, that we might be delivered. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, so that he could take the punishment for our sins that we deserved. He died to destroy the power of death, that we might live without the fear of death. God has redeemed his people. What has God done? He's visited his people. He's redeemed his people. And God has raised up his king. Look again at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The horn is a reference to the horn of a ram or a bull. So it's a symbol of power. It's a symbol of strength, symbol of kingship. God had promised David that one from his line would sit on the throne and his kingdom would last forever. And we know that as we've just sung, that Jesus Christ, the humble king, who in weakness wore the crown of thorns, is now the king who's been raised up in power. He ascended into heaven. He's seated on the throne. And there his rich wounds... The nails in his hand, the spear in his side are rich wounds visible above and beauty glorified. 
He's worshiped by the angels and his praise will never fail to eternity. God has visited his people, he's redeemed his people, and he's raised up his king, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God has done. What then is our response? How are we to respond? Look what Zechariah says in verses 74 through 75. That we, being saved, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Quite simply, God has saved us so that we can serve him. God has saved us that we might serve him. God's king has come, and now his kingdom is coming. In Zechariah's language, the morning sunrise has come, but it's still only dawn. The, the full noonday has not yet come. God has visited us in the flesh, and he's going to visit us in the flesh once again. That's what we celebrate this Advent season, not only that Jesus Christ has come, but that he is coming again. And until that day comes, we are called to serve him. As John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus' first visit, we are called as his people to prepare the way for Jesus' second visit, his second coming. We are called to work with integrity, to to be generous in our time and resources to spread spread this knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ that many might believe and be forgiven, to shine the light of Christ that others might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven, to teach and encourage one another with the word of God. We've been saved that we might serve him. And by way of application, I just want us to consider that uh, Zechariah is praying this for his child, for John. And it led me to reflect on this question. What is it that we long for, pray for, for our own children? Biological children, adopted children, covenant children, students. What is it that we long for, for our own children? In the car the other morning, I was listening to one of my uh, Holy Trinity of Christmas albums, uh, Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Uh, If you're curious what the uh, other two are, I'll let you know after the service. But Bing Crosby's White Christmas, my all-time favorites. And there's a track on there, it's track five, Faith of Our Fathers. Don't ask me why that is on Bing Crosby's White Christmas. I have no idea. Faith of Our Fathers, it's not a Christmas song. It's actually a hymn about Christian martyrs Afterwards, Bing Crosby goes on to sing about Jingle Bells and and I'll Be Home for Christmas and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I have no idea why Faith of Our Fathers is on that album. It shouldn't work. Bing Crosby crooning this song about Christian martyrs shouldn't work, but it does. It's lovely. But it was leading me to think and reflect as I heard these words from this verse. Our fathers chained in prisons dark were still in heart and conscience free, how sweet would be their children's faith if they, like them, could die for thee. And that just arrested my attention. 
How sweet would be their children's faith if they, like them, could die for thee, for the Lord Jesus. And I thought to myself, I'm like, can I really sing that? Yes, I want to raise my daughters in the faith. Yes, I want to teach my students the faith. Yes, I want them to embrace that faith as their own. But then would I consider it sweet if one day they were called to die for that very faith? Not that you wish it for them, but would I consider it a joy and a privilege for them to do that? Raising our children to serve Christ today may mean they die for Christ tomorrow. John the Baptist did. Many believers in the past have. Many believers around the world today are. What is it that we want for our children? What would be sweet for you as a parent or a church member or a teacher? For your kid to hit all the milestones before the other kids do? Smartest kid in the class? They have a comfortable life. Don't ever face any challenges. Prestigious college. Recognition for their athletic achievements, their musical talents. Have a great career, make a lot of money, have a better life than you did. Marry the right person. I'm not saying you can't pray these sorts of things for your children. But what's your ultimate longing? Is it that they would be saved and that they would serve Jesus, whatever the cost? This is what we're all called to. And you know, I don't mean to be dramatic. I, I, you know, after Faith of Our Fathers was over, I, I enjoyed Jingle Bells and Santa Claus is Coming to Town on Bing Crosby's album. I mean, enjoy those songs this Christmas season. But just let's remember, God has visited and redeemed his people in Jesus Christ. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and one day his coming again is in real time, real space, real history, real people, real families, real relationships. And if that's true, that's true, then that changes everything, doesn't it? Let's pray. Our God, we praise you and thank you that you have visited your people in the Lord Jesus Christ, that by his work, you have saved all those who put their faith in you, that Lord Jesus, you are king who rules and reigns on the throne, and one day you are coming again to bring in the fullness of your kingdom. In the meantime, I just pray that whatever our callings in life Wherever you have placed us, we would serve you faithfully and count it a joy to stand for Christ, to be willing to suffer for Christ. Remind us of these things this Christmas season, for we pray in Christ's name, amen.